our scripture reading. Good morning. Our reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we're looking at this reading from 1 Timothy, this reading, um, this reading which speaks of the God of second chances, and to think about what it means to, to rejoice in that God, to know that God, uh, and to be known by him, I, I, think, I think it's always important in situations like this to, to picture some real people. And so this morning, I want you to, to imagine that I'm accompanied by a couple of people that I've asked to come sit here. Some people that are going to sit in these chairs as examples for us. And I want to start, I want to start on this end. I want to start with, uh, with someone that I know. I, I've changed the identities of these people to protect them a little bit, taking a little bit of liberty with their identity so that, uh, uh, so that they would be protected but that you would know them. This person who's sitting here, his name is Dylan. Dylan's a nerdy kid. He's always been a nerd. He was always smarter than everybody else, and he always tried to excel as best he could in his intelligence. He was a teacher's pet, and he wanted, he wanted to kind of catch the favor of his teachers, and, and he did, especially with one teacher in particular. And that teacher kind of filled his head with all sorts of different thoughts, all sorts of different teachings, and, and truthfully, he taught him things outside of class and things that other people didn't know about. Dylan was, uh, was picked to be on the academic bowl team. He always wanted everyone to know how smart he was. And so he began to kind of publicly debate with other people. And whenever he would debate with them, he would always make sure that they would know as soon as he realized he was smarter than them just how far below they were. He was arrogant in his intelligence and he made sure that everybody felt belittled in his presence. His teacher started to get him into some weird stuff. Some weird, some weird teachings to the point where he thought that he was right about absolutely everything. And it became, you could almost say it became kind of like a religion to him. Well, Dylan one day decided to take the next step. It wasn't enough for him just to debate people's religion with them, to debate their ideas, to debate their teachings. Instead, he decided to go and participate in a rally. And he found out that he really loved it. Because there at the rally, he could shout in somebody's face, the top of his lungs, and all the people who were behind him loved it, and all the people who were in front of him hated it. And as he was shouting in people's faces, he found himself kind of empowered and emboldened by it. And he used his power of persuasion over somebody else in his group. And he convinced them to pick up a brick and to throw it through a storefront window. And the rally became a riot. 
No charges stuck to him, but others went to jail. He's arrogant, he's boastful, and he's plotting his next steps. Sitting in this seat, it's a very different person. It's a guy named Daryl. And Daryl, Daryl has, uh, has always been one destined for greatness. From the time that he was very young, people saw leadership potential in him. And when Daryl was in high school, he was the backup quarterback on the football team. But the uh, starter went down one day, and he took over and led his team to a state championship. He was treated like a god. In addition to having athletic prowess and this leadership ability, he's also good looking, and he always, he always had a way with the ladies, as they say. He never lacked for female companionship. And now he's grown. And he's realized some of that leadership potential. In fact, he's CEO of a major company that's on Fortune one's, the Fortune 100 list. He's never really lost his way with the ladies, even though he's married and has children. And in fact, last year, he created quite a stir because he had an affair with the wife of the CFO in his company. He doubled down on the affair. In fact, what he did was he brought in one of his friends, who's a noted CFO of another company, one who's incredibly talented. He brought him in and introduced him to the board because his friend was looking for a new job. And he convinced the board to hire him. So now his old CFO is left not only with a broken home, but he's left fired. And the next person I want to introduce you to is a woman named Miriam. Miriam was the life of the party. Great personality that everyone loved to be around. People, people liked, liked talking to her. They just liked being in her presence because she was such a positive person. That she was one that, that other people looked to, that always got the invite. Well, she went to a party one time and she made some bad choices with a guy. And word got around. In their small town, she became damaged goods. Of course, he got off looking more macho. She's bounced from relationship to relationship to relationship, always seeking something that she can never seem to find. But now she had, she had a religious experience. She says that she's found Jesus. And as she's found Jesus, she says she doesn't care who knows about it. But the truth is, people that know her and people that don't know her, they don't believe her. They just think it's another step in her path of trying to find something in life. Dylan, Daryl, and Miriam. Is there any hope for them? Is there any, is there any hope that these three can be transformed, can be, can be truly changed? Is it possible that the three of them could experience love and forgiveness? And, and as you start to answer that question, as you start to think in your own mind, I, I, I don't know what I believe about that. I, I want to encourage you to think about what the scriptures say, because what the scriptures tell us is that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, that God wants each one of them to experience his love and to be reborn in it, to be transformed, to be changed completely. 
that God wants each one of them to know him. And those people, therefore, can be saved. Those people, therefore, can be transformed and forgiven by the love of God in Jesus Christ. In fact, think about what 2 Corinthians 5 says. It's a verse that, that some of you have probably known since you were very little. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is an, a new creation. Right, that, that Christ Jesus has recreated, has newly created that person. The old is now gone. No longer count that against them. And as you hear those words, you might forget that the operative word in that verse is the word anyone. Anyone. <coughs> Can experience this love because it's for all. You see, that's God's intent in the scriptures. Or we could turn to a place like 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's how it starts off. Wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you say, Well, just a second ago, you said that, that anyone could be in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And so listen to what this verse says Wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then it's outlined. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor people who participate in homosexual acts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and now what's our immediate tendency? Our immediate tendency is to hear some of those things and to say, well, yeah, that's all those other people. Until you realize it's a pretty exhaustive list. And it includes all of us. It says, but wait a second. It says that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But that's not where it stops. In fact, it continues this way, and that's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, there's this transformation that happens in Christ Jesus as we are washed by him, as we are made holy, not by our own merits, but by what Jesus Christ has done for us, as we are made justified before, meaning the price for our sin has been paid, and now forgiveness is freely given to us. That becomes who we are and not who we were. Or in Romans chapter 5, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. This is one of those verses that's always puzzled me. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Now hang on a second here, God. So you give me, my, you give me your law so that my sin might increase? Could you just keep the law away? That would be great. It's not that the sin itself increases, but it is now defined by the law that we then know what our sin is, that we then know the way that we stand in opposition to God. This law allows us to know our trespasses and sins before him. And so then what happens? Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's what the text says, where grace, where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Jesus Christ doesn't turn his back on sinners. On the contrary, he increases his mercy. 
He increases his forgiveness to match our sin. And that on the cross, we see forgiveness for all. That on the cross, we see God's answer to sin, which is that he wants it over and done with, paid for and removed. He wants sin taken away so that it doesn't become who we are, but who we were. So that we would know that in the midst of our sin, God is merciful to us. When I think of these people on the stage, and I ask you that question whether they could be transformed, I think of what a powerful witness they would be if they were. What a powerful witness to the love of God they would be if they were transformed by God himself so that their lives might be on display, so that we could see in them what God is capable of. Well, the truth is, I, I didn't take liberties with their identity to protect them. I, I took liberties with their identity because I wanted you to see in each one of these people that, that you might walk among them. That these might be people that you encounter on an everyday basis because you do and you will encounter people just like them. But most of you know these three. In fact, the first one, the one sitting in this chair, the one named Dylan. Well, Dylan and Paul both mean humble. And what I said about Dylan is true of the Apostle Paul, that he was noted for his intelligence, that he caught the eye of a particular teacher, an important teacher named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel led Paul into this teaching that he was right all the time, that he would insist that he was right, and he was more right than other people. In fact, he called himself perfect in terms of legalistic righteousness. And not only that, but the Apostle Paul was noted for his intelligence his entire life. In fact, even later on after his conversion, as he stood on trial in Acts chapter 26, one of the people on, with whom, or in front of whom he was on trial said to him, Paul, your great learning has made you crazy. Paul loved to be right. And he loved to point in other spaces. And he did join a rally. And it did turn into a riot but it wasn't a storefront that was broken. But he was there participating in the death of a man named Stephen. Paul was a violent man and a blasphemer by his own admission. And so what happened to him? God encountered him. God encountered him and came into his life. God transformed Paul through the work of Jesus Christ that he would know that he was a loved and forgiven child so that he would write half of the New Testament speaking gloriously about the love of God in Jesus Christ so that he would be on display so that others would see in him the worst of sinners, how patient God was. And how about Daryl? Well, Daryl and David both mean beloved. And David was tapped for leadership, destined for greatness from the time he was young. He was accelerated beyond that of his brothers. The Bible even tells us that he was ruddy and handsome. You know what ruddy means? Red-haired. A red-haired Israelite. Ruddy and handsome, who was famous with the ladies. And if you remember, he did have a, a particular battle of importance, not a state championship football game, but a little bit more important. Instead, a confrontation with a giant named Goliath. And if you recall, a few weeks ago, as Vicar Paul was preaching for us, he reminded us that, that he wasn't first string, 
the battle was supposed to be fought by King Saul. But since King Saul wouldn't do it, David did it in his place. Winning the battle of being treated like a champion. But he never went away from his ways with the ladies. And the woman's name was Bathsheba. And she was married. And David took her as his own. And he didn't have her husband Uriah fired. Instead, Uriah was one of his famous soldiers. On the front line, he had all the other men stand down so that Uriah was killed. And so what happens with King David? God confronted him. God encountered him by sending the prophet Nathan into his life. Nathan, who went to confront him in his sin with Bathsheba, to confront him in what he had done, saying to him, you are the man. You're the one who committed this grievous sin. And David responds strongly. Remember, even writing the words of Psalm 51, words which we use frequently for confession, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. You are righteous when you judge. David was transformed because God encountered him. And what an example he is of the God of second chances. And Miriam, that's just the Hebrew name, the Aramaic name for Mary. For Mary, this one in particular, the one who when Jesus was eating dinner at the Pharisee's house, came in and wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And Luke tells us that she had lived a sinful life. And we know what that means. And the Pharisees even point her out to Jesus and say, don't you know that this is a sinner who's anointing your feet with her tears? And what does Jesus do? He doesn't cast her out. Instead, instead he commends her. And not only with her tears does she wipe his feet, but anoints them with this expensive oil. And we learn that she is a woman of means and that she's willing to give all of this to Jesus because she understands what she's done. And all of the others who are there point fingers and say, we don't believe her. And Jesus says, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. And then turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. What happens? Jesus encounters her. You see, in each one of these situations, the love of God is on display so that we would know and experience a God of second chances, so that we would know and experience a God whose love creates forgiveness in the most unlikely circumstances, a God who transforms us when no transformation seems possible. And so there's one more chair sitting here. It's a chair of of somebody named Scott. First John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's struggled with petty sins all of his life, just like everybody else. Lust, lying. He's not proud of those sins. As an adult, sin turns to judgmentalism. And you already know, so I don't have to keep speaking in the third person, that this is me. 
And I'm really judgmental toward other pastors and other church workers who are lazy, who don't do their jobs, who don't trust the name of Jesus. I have no patience. And though I believe that I have the spiritual gift of faith that's outlined in the New Testament, and that this faith has bedrock and stayed with me my whole life, not questioning, not questioning God's existence, I still question who God is. And I say things to God, my doubts, questioning why, why brothers have car accidents and fathers die too young, telling God that I know best, wondering, wondering why God doesn't act the way that I want God to act in any given situation and not trusting his word that it's enough. You see, those are some of my sins. And I'm not proud of them, but I share them to ask the question, is there a second chance for somebody like me? You see, I, I believe that I'm an example. Well, maybe a cautionary tale. Not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. That, that I'm an example with my life. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That I believe that if we confess our sins and as we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to demonstrate that we have been given a second chance, that I have been given a second chance. So now how about you? When you sit in this chair, what's your story? What sins do you confess? Because as you confess your sins to your God, this truth of the scriptures becomes, oh, so glorious and true that God is a God of second chances for them, for me, and for you. And so the, to the king, the immortal, invisible God, only wise, be all glory and honor in us, the ones to whom he has granted a second chance. In Jesus Christ, amen.